there are several times in the scripture where Christ made comments that uh, I think that the people in attendance would kind of cut their eyes at each other and say, did he really just say that? Okay, or, or are you kidding? He said that. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, Christ is speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this to a culture that was a male culture. Men ruled. Women were considered second class. Christ elevates women. If you study how Christ relates to women, he elevates women. But he says this, he says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I'm sure a lot of the men cut their eyes and said, did he really just say that? Can you believe he said that? And then another count in Matthew 19, the Pharisees came to Jesus, the party of purity, the party of justifying themselves before God by their self-efforts, and they asked him a question about marriage. It says the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And in, in this day and age, if there was some, quote, indecency found in your wife, you can stand up and say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And any indecency can be defined as anything you want it to be. Burnt breakfast, seriously. Or committed some vile act. They're, they're all, I divorce you. And then she was cast out on her own without any means of support. And Jesus says, have you not heard or read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man ever separate. And then he talked about the law of Moses, and he says this. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And at that part, what's interesting in the narrative, at that part, the disciples jump in. And the Pharisees ask the question, but the disciples are bowled over, his men. And it says, and the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. They're saying, are you, are you kidding me? It's a hard, it's a hard, it was hard for their culture. We come to a text this morning where it's just hard. When you really understand what Christ is saying, it's just hard. We're studying this, the Lord's Prayer. We've come to the part, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Last week, I covered the first part of that statement, forgive us our debts. Talked about the enormity and the goodness of grace. And now we come to the application. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then Christ gives us a commentary two verses later when he says this. It's a startling statement. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. It's an amazing statement. 
Now listen, it's not a quid pro quo. If you do this, it'll happen. What he's saying is, is that a, a life of gracious forgiveness that extends mercy and longs for reconciliation is part of, and it's the sign of, being truly regenerate or born again or being a child of God. D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar, Trinity Seminary, says this, people disqualify themselves from being forgiven if they are so hardened in their own bitterness that they cannot or will not forgive others. It's a strong statement. As I was thinking about this, I, I was, I've been reading through the book of Luke, just a couple of chapters, trying to think through what Luke is saying, and, 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 I, and I, was, I was just underlining in Luke 4 and 5, or just circling the words astonished or glorified or awe, when it came to the person of Christ. Let me just read a few verses, Luke chapter 4 and verse 15, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all, being rejoiced over by all. Uh, Luke chapter 4 and verse 31, he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. They were just astonished at Jesus. Later it says, a demon was cast out by Christ and they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits that they would come out. They were amazed. Then it says in chapter 5, and when Simon Peter saw the large catch of fish that this carpenter had instructed them to fish for, when all hope of getting fish was gone, it says, when Simon Peter saw the large catch of fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken in. And I just stopped and I said, you know, these men were astonished, amazed, bowled over by the reality and the presence of Christ, and they did not understand yet the glory of the cross. They didn't get it yet. They were bowled over, astonished. And I said, I said are, are, are you, talking to me, are, are you bowled over, astonished at the greatness and the presence of Jesus? And you see, my, the extent to which someone loves is positively correlated to the degree that we're stunned and silenced by the majesty and the greatness of Christ. So, so. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We've got to be stunned into silence by the glory of the cross, by, by, by the forgiveness of our sins. Now, I, I read this passage last week. It's in Luke chapter 7. And it's the story, very quickly, Jesus goes to the home of a Pharisee named Simon. And while he's there, a prostitute comes in and falls at the feet of Jesus and bathes his feet with her tears and wipes them with her hair. And the Pharisee says to himself, if this, really, if this man really were a prophet, he would know that the woman that's touching him is a sinner and he, he would be repulsed, just like I'm repulsed. And Jesus knew his thoughts and he gave a little story. He said, there's a, a money lender 
and one person owed him 50 units and the other person owed him 500 units and the moneylender forgave the debts of both Simon who would be the most grateful and Simon says Lord the one to be the most grateful would be the man who's forgiven the most this is what Jesus says verse 46 and 47 he says you do not anoint my head with oil but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And I said last week, and I'll say again, that, that, that the issue here is not I've been forgiven very little, that I don't love a little, I love little, but I've been forgiven a whole bunch. I lo- the issue is Christ is saying, get in touch with the, the, the bleakness and the desolation and the, the, the nature of your own sinful heart. Get in touch with that. Get in touch that you were dead in transgressions and your sins and God made you alive in Christ. Get in touch that you deserve judgment, but God made you alive in Christ. See, we, we, when I was growing up, and I don't like this. I don't like this at all. If you do this, and you're a teacher, I don't, I don't like this. There'd be the name of all the kids up front uh, on a poster board, and they would have a reading program. And if you read a book, you'd get a gold star. And if you didn't, you'd get nothing. Or you'd get a frowny face. And so you just worked hard to get gold star, gold star, gold star. You know, I like to win. I like to win. I'm going to custom to losing because I've been a Dallas Cowboy fan for years, and that's just all we do in the last 20 years. But, but you know, you smiley face, smiley. And so, so that, I, I did okay on that chart, but the other chart is really the bad chart. It, when I was growing up, it was called citizenship, which means good behavior. I had nothing but frowny faces. I didn't have any gold stars. But I just think we, we live in a culture of gold stars. This is what I've done. This is where I went to school. This is my GPA. This is my income. This is my, my, my educational standing. This is what my kids have done. And so what we do, we bring that to the Bible, and we read the Bible like a bunch of Pharisees instead of a bunch of sinners who need grace. And so to really get hold of this, you've got to read the Bible like a recovering Pharisee, not a Pharisee. Get rid of the gold star mentality, the ribbons, the accolades, the titles. And, and Christ is saying, see the depth of your sin. Now, as we talk about forgiveness, I'm going to give you some principles on forgiveness. This is a hard teaching. There's a man named John Stott that I dearly love. I've read his books for years. He lived to be over 90. He died just a couple of years ago. Enormously used of God, a British evangelical. And he wrote a, a phenomenal book on the Sermon on the Mount. But in that book, there's a quote here by Stott. And I like the quote, but I'm going to take issue with just one little statement. He says regarding this issue, Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offenses against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. Now, I just don't like the word extremely trifling. I don't like that. If you've been sinned against, and we all have to one degree or another, some of us egregiously so, you can never call it trifling. It is hurtful. 
It is painful. It is devastating. Sometimes it's physically debilitating. As a pastor, I've had the opportunity of sitting with many of you behind a closed door, and you've poured out your heart about a situation. And as you've left, I thought to myself, if I were in their shoes, I'm not sure I could get out of bed tomorrow morning. Or if I were in that shoe, their shoes, every fiber in my being would cry out, I am going to get them. Vengeance is mine. So don't, don't ever, in your own life, or in the life of those around you, and I, I'm sure John Stott would, would agree with this, but, but don't, don't ever minimize it by saying trifling. It's not trifling. Hurt is deep, it's profound, and it's real. So, so as, we, as, as we think about these issues, let me give you some principles on forgiveness. Number one, for forgiveness involves real sin and not hypersensitivity that is sometimes very brittle. It involves real sin. Now, just understand this. If you're at a weakened state emotionally, you've been rejected by a friend, then everybody who sees you and doesn't greet you makes you think they've rejected me too. I've been there. And some people are just preoccupied and, or they're, they're not having a good day and you think, well, they don't like me because he, they don't like me, they don't like me. It's, it's like somebody who's playing high school football and he drops the pass in the end zone on the last play of the game. Just drops the pass. And they lose the game. If he'd caught it, they'd have won. And, and so the next day he goes to, next week goes to school and he opens the door for a young lady and her book slips out and she says, ah, oh, I drop everything. And he thinks, she's making fun of me because I didn't catch that pass. So, I mean, you've been there. Or you call a friend and the, your disconnected your friend says, oh, the call was dropped. <laughs> you go, they're making fun of me. So you're just hypersensitive. And I'm not using the term fumble in the last minute and 30 seconds of the game to lose the game. That's way too sensitive this morning. But anyway, a, a dropped call, a dropped pass. So, so I would just say be very careful of being, about being hypersensitive. Understand where you are and where people are coming from. Forgiveness involves real sin, not slights. So one of our, we have 10 core values in our church. One of them is an environment of grace, and the statement goes like this. Because of the greatness of the cross, consequently, our ministry together must be characterized by that same grace in our response to one another. Same grace and how we respond to one another. A man named Wayne Grudem writing on the passage in 1 Peter 4 that says, love covers a multitude of sins. This is what he says. Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion and every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. You see, when, in 1 Peter 4, when it says love covers a multitude of sins, uh, you know, if a sin is injurious to the body of Christ and it's an open flagrant sin, it's got to be dealt with. 
But I think what Peter is saying, he says, he says that, then he says, show hospitality in the next verse. What he's saying is that, is that we're, we're, the love of Christ is the many little slights and innuendos and inconsistencies are covered up and, and they're dealt with because you walk in the love of Christ. But, but if you are a, listen, if you're a scorekeeper, if you're a gold star person and you keep records of rights and wrongs, then love doesn't cover. It just doesn't. I love the book Les Mis by Victor Hugo. I love the musical. Uh, it's, two years ago, the, the, the musical was, it was, it was just great. But you know, you know the story. There's, there's, there's a man named Jean Valjean who is sentenced to a harsh imprisonment for theft, and then it's added on to and he has no hope, he, he, he escapes, he steals some things, he receives mercy, and it changes his life. What's, what's amazing about, about that book is that Victor Hugo did not know the gospel of well. He wasn't a believer, but he really gets grace. And so, but he's hounded for year after year after year by a man named Gervais, Gervais, and, and he, he's, he, he's a record keeper, he's a record keeper. Got to do this, got to do that, got to do that. And so his life is filled with bitterness and anger and ulcers, and I just thought, you know, would you like to have a family picnic with Gervais and his family? I would not. Because every little slight is a huge issue, and you just have to expose everything that everybody says. On the other hand, Jean Valjean and Cosette and that family, I mean, they laugh, they have fun, they're grace-filled, they're gracious, because they understand mercy. That's what I'm saying. There are family systems, there are institutional systems, there are church systems that are filled with grace and hope and laughter and forgiveness, and there are family systems and church systems and institutional systems that are filled with bitterness and anger and rancor because they don't get grace. I want you to get grace. I want you to understand the mercy and the goodness of the cross and live accordingly. Secondly, forgiveness does not always lead to reconciliation. Forgiveness is extending the hand of reconciliation. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, he says, if you have, you remember an offense your brother has against you, leave your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled, then come and offer your gift. And he says this, settle matters quickly with your adversary because he t before he takes you to court. Quickly. Ephesians 4, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, now why, why this quickly and not let the sun go down? Here's the answer. If, if we don't deal with issues, then anger becomes bitterness and bitterness becomes rage and rage becomes an implacably opposed, unforgiving spirit. And the devil gets the victory. And so that's why the Bible says, you know, deal with these things quickly. But at the same time, understand that forgiveness does not always lead to reconciliation. He, Romans chapter 12, a passage that we have printed in the worship guide, says this, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, Live peaceably with all people, if, if possible. Sometimes you extend the hand of reconciliation, it's not received. So there's a pattern in Luke chapter 17. Jesus says this, 
verse 3. He says, pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, correct him. Rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him, or you're restored to your relationship. You go to him, correct him, repents, relationship is restored. Wonderful book called Bold Love on this issue by Dan Allender and Temper Longman says that forgiveness involves a heart that cancels the debt but does not lend new money until repentance occurs. Do you get it? It cancels the debt, but you don't lend new money until repentance is observable and known and it occurs. So, so it, it doesn't always lead toward to reconciliation. Number three, forgiveness does involve the following three issues. Listen, number one, you don't seek revenge. You don't seek revenge. Again, Romans 12, verse 17 says this, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in God's sight. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written by the Lord, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we don't take revenge. Number two, we have a charitable spirit or give a good report as much as we can. You don't go out and, you, and publicly put people down. You, you hold your peace or you give a good report as much as you can. This is tough. Have you ever been sinned against and somebody brings up that person's name and says, why do you think? You know, everything inside you wants to just jump and devour them. You go step, 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 go back. This is how it works. Number three, we should show love. Uh, verse 20, Romans 12. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Burning coals refers, to, I believe, to conviction. Conviction. As one person said about this passage, goodness breaks the spell of the enemy and renders him powerless. You do good to them. You pray for them. Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Bless those who curse you. You know, wild stuff. Make them a banana bread. Wash their car. You do good. It's hard. Fourthly, does extending forgiveness always lead to a skipping, singing, whistling, joyful experience right away. No. No. There's a, a statement in the worship guide from a guy named Sam Storms, and let me just read it. It's one paragraph. It's five myths about forgiveness exposed. It says, contrary to what many have been led to believe, forgiveness is not forgetting. There's a book well known in evangelical circles called Forgive and Forget. You don't. It's impossible. It's a terrible title. It's a terrible thought. It's unbiblical. Number two, forgiving someone does not mean you no longer feel the pain of their offense. It hurts. 
Three, forgiving someone who has sinned against you doesn't mean you cease longing for justice. Forgiveness does not mean that you close your eyes to moral atrocity and pretend that it didn't hurt or that it really doesn't matter whether or not the offending person is called to account for his or her offense. You, you, you pursue justice, especially if it's done and you know about it and it's not done to you necessarily, but you pursue justice. Number four, forgiveness does not mean that you are to make it easy for the offender to hurt you again. And number five, forgiveness is rarely a one-time climatic event. It is most often a lifelong process. However, forgiveness has to begin somewhere at some point in time. And some of you are sitting here this morning saying, well, I, I have been sinned against by blank. Have you forgiven them? Begin right now. You see, because, because of the cross of Christ and because forgiveness is a sign of my redemption and my relationship with the Lord, I choose to forgive, which means I'm not going to seek revenge, which means I'm not going to mow them down verbally with my speech. And number three, if I can do them good, I will do them good. I'll pray for them. Jesus has to pray for them. I won't curse them. And if I have a chance, I'll, I'll, I'll do them good. See, if you do that, the gospel is honored in your life. It's honored. Nineteen ninety nine, um, India, Orissa Province. I've spoken to this several times, but an Australian medical missionary named Graham Staines, who worked with lepers, took his eight and ten year old boy, and they went to a village, and they were giving out medicines to people who were sick, especially lepers, and they were also giving out gospel tracts, and they decided to spend the night in their jeep. And as they were sleeping in their jeeps, some radical Hindu extremists came and poured gasoline on the jeep and burned them alive. A man and eight and ten-year-old boys, his sons. Left behind was his wife, Gladys, and his older daughter, the oldest child, Esther. A week later, Esther was asked to speak at a memorial service that was broadcast throughout the nation of India. The, the, the nation of India was just thunderstruck by this. And she said in her address, I ask you to pray for those who did this to my husband and my boys, and I extended them the hand of forgiveness. And it absolutely went over the nation like a tidal wave. In 2009, 10 years after the tragedy, she, was, she granted an interview, and this is some of the things she said. She went back to India to minister to the same people, she and her daughter both. And she said this, she says, during these 10 years, there have been incredible times of sadness. I feel sad that I do not have my husband to support me or to guard me, but there are, there are just momentary emotions of sadness, which also fill me with great hope. The hope of heaven and of being reunited with my husband and children in paradise and seeing the Father face to face, this guarantee fills me with consolation. Did you hear that? The hope of heaven. It's amazing. I cannot express how, that how I felt when the news of my husband and sons being burnt alive. But I looked at my daughter Esther and said, even though we've been left alone, we will exercise forgiveness. And my daughter replied, yes, we will. That's amazing to me. 
Then she says this. I forgive the other because I have first received forgiveness from Jesus Christ. I have encountered the presence of Jesus in my life, and this is the spirit I share. When we forgive, there's no bitterness. I would say we work towards no bitterness, but there's no bitterness, and we live our lives and continue the task entrusted to us with the grace and peace of Christ. These widows, she's speaking to some widows whose husbands had been murdered because of their faith in Christ. These widows have also been touched by Jesus. All Christians who have known the intervention of Jesus in their lives will have this gift to forgive and be the witness of his peace and his presence. Support these widows with your solidarity and prayers. And to the people of the world, I say, do not give up hope. Pray for India. I always go, See, that's it. That's it. And that, that speaks volumes. It's not a blue sky experience, but it begins at a moment in time. It, it might be, but in, in the long run, it, it will break bitterness. It will break anger. It will give you the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It will elevate the name of Jesus. Church, be forgiving. Forgive us our debts by the cross as we forgive our debtors. Our, our forgiveness of people is a sign that we know the cross. So, so the, the other issue is, is how, 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 do we, how do we deal with this? How, how, how do we walk in forgiveness? Uh, so here, here's, if, you, if, you, if you've experienced being blindsided, being done dirty, whatever, things said about you, and we've all been there. If you're over the age of, what, 15, you've been there. I mean, junior high, well, you've been there, you know. So, so you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you think about the issue. It's on your brain. You're mowing the yard, and out of nowhere, it hits you, and you start thinking about the person and what they did to you. You're driving down the road, and you're, you're thinking about something, and all of a sudden, boom, it hits you. What, what do you do? Here's what you do. You combat that with the Word of God. And that's why Bible meditation and memorization is not just something you do to get a gold star. It's how you fight the devil. Study the life of Christ. When Christ was tempted by the devil, he beat him to death with the word of God. And so you're, you're, you're out there and, and, and you're, you're, all of a sudden, boom, it hits you. What, what do you do? I've just got some verses I've thrown down here. So, so you, you just quote Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you in Jesus. And you say, you start singing amazing grace. Or you say, God, I thank you that I've been forgiven by the cross. I rejoice in the cross of Christ. I rejoice in the forgiveness of sins. And I extend that to fill in the blank. And I'm thankful for your goodness. And you, you fight him with the word of God. Because the devil wants to beat you up and knock you down. Or another passage, Luke, excuse me, Philippians chapter 4. Paul's writing to this church. It's a great church, but they have emotional and relational conflict. 
That's the issue he's really addressing in Philippians in part. And so as he winds the passage down, he talks about rejoicing in the Lord always. He talks about let your gentle spirit be known to all men. In all things, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, Be people of prayer. And then he says this, finally, brothers, whatever is, is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, if there is anything that is excellent and anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so he starts saying, Lord, I just rejoice in your goodness. I rejoice in the beauty of Christ. I rejoice in the excellence of the gospel. I rejoice in who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you're unchanging, that you're everywhere present, and that you've given me yourself by your Spirit. You've given me the Word of God to guide my path and to be a light to my path. You do that. Or a passage I've been trying to meditate on is James 3, but the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure and peaceable and gentle and reasonable and entreatable and full of mercy and good fruits. Peacemakers who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. Lord, I thank you that you've caused me to raise a harvest of righteousness for the generations to come. And I I just thank you that the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. God, you are pure and it's peace-loving. I want to be a peace lover. I want to be entreatable and full of mercy and good fruits. Oh, God, make that true of my life. See, what you don't do is you don't say, uh, you don't dwell on it. You, You just, or you don't, I mean, if, if you're leaving today and somebody stays, meets you as you go out of the building and say, do not think about pink elephants. Don't think about pink elephants today. What are you going to think about all day long? Pink elephants. Every car looks like a pink elephant. Every NFL team you watch today, that's the San Francisco pink elephants. I mean, whatever. I mean, th- that's what we do. You have to replace that with the power of the Scripture. That's the way you do it. That's what we do. Because peacemakers who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. I want to raise a harvest of righteousness. And that involves forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. <gasps> well, let's stand and we'll pray and we'll close. Just, uh, let's just. I thank you, Lord, for hard things. I thank you that this teaching is filled with um, really it gets inside us. Um, it, it's easy to just blow through the Lord's prayer and to not think soberly through what is being said. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as, as, we, as we... So God, to that, in that regard, um, I just thank you that, that, that the result of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the result of our union with Christ by the, by the glory of the cross is that we are forgiving people. Uh, so, so let us have an environment of grace in our homes and our marriages. Let us be quick to forgive and quick to seek forgiveness and quick to extend mercy to the glory of your name. As much as it depends upon us, let us be at peace with all men, Lord. Uh, Life's too short to live in bitterness and rage. Oh, it's too short. Um, So, Lord, if if there are issues in our lives that we need to, to deal with, let us deal with them 
quickly. Do not let the sun go down on our anger and so give the devil a foothold. We don't want that. We want to be peacemakers who sow in righteousness and raise a harvest of righteousness. Generations of joy and laughter and peace and kindness because of the cross. Oh God, do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.